Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Saturday edition of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Hope you enjoy this program. This is one from nearly two years ago that I did about the famous Christmas prophecy about the virgin birth. And it's a very good prophecy to illustrate how dual fulfillments kind of work. And I think it's an important concept to understand. And so uh, it's a shorter video, but I hope you all will get a blessing from this and enjoy it. Thank you for watching. Hey everyone, Pastor Tommy McMurtry from Liberty Baptist. Want to do a very important prophecy lesson right now. Uh, one of the things that I kind of forget about sometimes and take for granted is there's a lot of teaching that I do around our church that is not online. Um, and so because of that, often when I bring certain things up online, uh, the online crowd is a little behind and there's things that they don't understand yet. And then it kind of leaves them hanging in some areas. And, uh, and so that's kind of happened with some of the things we've been talking about concerning Daniel chapter nine. So what I want to do this morning, I want to do a very important lesson on interpreting Bible prophecy that I don't think a lot of people understand. And I'm going to use a Christmas prophecy that we all know to illustrate this. It's very important you get this concept. Now, Isaiah 7:14, we all know this. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know that prophecy and we know who fulfilled it. We know when it was fulfilled. It was fulfilled when Jesus was born. And I mean, the New Testament quotes it, refers to that says it was fulfilled as spoken by the prophet Isaiah. So uh, there's no question about when that prophecy was fulfilled. Now, here's something that we need to also look at. Let's look at the rest of that chapter because in all prophecies, we've got to understand there were things that were said that were very relevant to that audience in that day when the prophecy was given, but contained within that prophecy were things for the distant future. And, uh, and so I believe that's the same thing in Matthew 24. Much of what we read in Matthew 24 was about that generation, but there's also things contained in there that were for the distant future that we are still looking for. But we don't want to take things that already took place and then try to make them fit in future prophecy, especially if they just don't fit. And, and so... Uh, often, if you say something has passed that some people think is future, they act like you're throwing everything out. They call you a preterist, act like you're denying the second coming of Jesus Christ, and that you're like Hymenaeus and Philetus, and you teach that the resurrection is past already, and you're overthrowing the faith of people. That's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous argument, and it's an argument that just shows people don't understand a lot about prophecy. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 7. And I, I can only imagine what people would do if they interpreted Isaiah 7 with the same hermeneutic they teach Matthew 24. It would be really bad. And so let's go and see what was going on. So it says, It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham. This is the southern kingdom. Okay? Because remember, the kingdom split. The son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that reasoned the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. So the, the northern kingdom, Judah's own brothers, the other tribes are conspiring with a heathen king to come and take over their kingdom. That's what was going on in that day. 
And this is what Isaiah, the prophet, is speaking about. And so it says, uh, and it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved in the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jashub thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason with Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. So they're going to take this kingdom over, and they're going to put their own king in there. But then, the prophet speaking, Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Well, what's not going to come to pass? These kingdoms coming against you and defeating you and putting in their own king. That's not going to happen. Okay, We're talking about that day, that generation. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason. And within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. So a timeline has been given saying, in 65 years, this northern kingdom, Ephraim, is not even going to be a kingdom anymore. That, and we can keep reading in the Bible, and we can see, sure enough, the Assyrians came and they took over the northern kingdom years before the southern kingdom. They tried getting them too, but God miraculously delivered them. And we read all about that in the book of Isaiah. But it was not so with the northern kingdom because they were wicked and God judged them. And so, just what was prophesied here, we can look in the Bible and see that it came to pass, just like the prophet said. And it says, And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of uh, Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord <clears throat> spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear now, house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? He's just basically saying you should have asked for the sign. And then he goes on, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. No doubt, that is distant future. It was hundreds of years later before the Messiah came. But is the prophet not still speaking to this generation so should we wait for the 65 years of the destruction of Ephraim or for the coming destruction of Ephraim to happen after the first coming of Christ? No, no, it happened in that day. So what's going on here? Because this is clearly distant future. Let's keep reading. So, well, this is a different prophecy. He's telling them a whole new thing right now. It doesn't have anything to do with what was going on then. Well, let's keep reading. It says, butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. So he's letting them know before a virgin can conceive and bear a son and before he can get to a certain age where he even knows the difference between good and evil, that land that thou abhorrest, those two kingdoms, Syria and Ephraim, they're going to lose both of their kings. And guess what? That happened in those days just like the prophet said, is exactly 
what happened. It says, The Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Assyria. So folks, there's no doubt. This was a pertaining to that day in that generation, and it came to pass. And imagine if some prophecy speaker from back then, two or three hundred years later, decided he was going to preach from Isaiah 7.14, and he preached that a virgin was going to conceive one day and bear a son, and he was going to call his name Emmanuel. He would be right to preach that. But then imagine another guy is saying, you know what, I believe that prophecy too. I believe that a virgin is going to bear a son, his name is going to be called Emmanuel, and I'm also looking for the destruction of those two kings. I can't wait till the Lord comes and takes out those two kings. we got to be watching for things in Ephraim. we got to be watching for things in Syria because uh, in those prophecies in Isaiah 7, it talks about those things. But those things already happened. They didn't need to be looking for those things. Those things already happened. And then, you know, that guy is like, you know what? You don't even believe in a coming virgin birth because you think that the two kings have already been removed. That would have been a foolish argument. That would have been dead wrong. There's no doubt those prophecies had been fulfilled. But a virgin birth hadn't taken place yet. That had not taken place. And so Isaiah wasn't wrong when he gave this prophecy. And so, um, you know, because as far as the virgin birth, he didn't say, you know, kind of give a timeline in any of those things. And it is, you know, obviously I think there's uh, foreshadowings, dual fulfillments and things like that. But it's the same thing in Matthew 24. Jesus speaking in the same way. He does speak about things pertaining to Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD, just like Jesus prophesied. There wasn't one stone left upon another. Jerusalem was compassed about with armies. And I even believe the abomination of desolation took place back then during that time. But you know what? Jesus didn't return. It's, isn't it interesting how the prophecy that came way later was the one about his first coming in Isaiah 7. And it's the same thing about the second coming. The things that Jesus prophesied on that generation came to pass. But his second coming still hasn't come. We're still waiting for the promise of his coming but it is going to come. And you know what? I shouldn't be looking for those things to be fulfilled that have already been fulfilled. And if I believe that some of those things were fulfilled that Matthew 24 talks about, it doesn't mean I believe that the resurrection is past. It does not believe, I believe that the second coming of Christ has already happened. I think Jesus was speaking and prophesying in the same way that he spoke by men like Isaiah. And there's many other examples like this that we could look at throughout the Old Testament. We usually focus just on the one verse that the New Testament quotes that was fulfilled and we ignore the rest. But if we study the rest, we kind of start to understand the way the prophets speak and how to look at these things. And so it's not wrong for somebody to look at some prophecies and say, hey, some of those things were already fulfilled. And just because it includes something about the second coming, it's not them denying the second coming. And you know what? People need to actually listen to what's being said on these things. Stop just calling names. Don't just call people preterist. Don't just do ad hominem attacks. Accurately represent. I think we are allowed to disagree on what things have uh, 
been fulfilled and what things haven't. And with the exception of the return of Christ, Jesus has not come back, and the resurrection. Uh, Because to claim a resurrection is to deny a literal physical resurrection because nobody claims that's happened. And 1 Corinthians 15, it condemns a teaching that denies a resurrection from the dead. I won't negotiate with people on that, but I'm tired of people acting like I'm denying the resurrection and the rapture. I'm not. I'm looking for those things. And just because certain things that are in passages about the rapture I'm saying are fulfilled does not mean I deny those things. I am just interpreting those passages consistently with the way we uh, interpret other prophecies that have already been fulfilled about the first coming of Christ. So these are great conversations. These are very interesting topics. I'm interested in hearing other people's perspective on it. I'm interested in listening to what other people have to say. I'm not interested in messing with people who just want to call names, who just want to uh, attach labels and just be argumentative. If that's you, if, if your ego is that fragile that you can't handle somebody maybe thinking a little different than you on end times, I'm not interested in you. I don't want to talk to you. But if you're genuinely interested in just looking into these things and studying them and making sure we're interpreting the Bible consistently, uh, and, and if you want to challenge me without being ignorant, I've got no problem with that. Just don't go slamming false accusations and misrepresenting my position and the people of others and so hopefully this will help you understand prophecy a little bit better and how to look at it and we're kind of used a great christmas example so i hope this was a help god bless you all and merry christmas